So there's this pretty awesome scene in the life of Jesus. Um, they leave the uh, the Last Supper, right? It's it's the it's what we celebrate at communion. It's the moment where really all of Jesus' life is led to, and he's lead, he he leads his disciples out of. Uh, the upper room. They start to walk. He does these few teachings, and then he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's here where Jesus um, falls on his face. His sweat is as thick as blood, and he asks Jesus, or he asks God, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass in front of me. I, I, I don't want to do this. Like, if there's any other way to make this happen, please, please do it. And, but the, the key word there he says next is, Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. While he's walking with his disciples on his way to that moment, uh, Jesus, Jesus stops and prays. Well, he, he tells his disciples, stay, stay right here, and then he goes off and he prays. John chapter 17 is really special because it records that prayer. He prays for himself. Uh, Jesus prays for himself. Well, really what he prays is that his death will glorify God. His next prayer is for his closest friends, his 12 closest friends, which are his disciples. That's what we call them. And then his third prayer, it starts like this. John chapter 17. It's not on the screen. You'll just have to listen. John chapter 17 says this. My prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. He says, I pray, for, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. How about this? Jesus, in his last moments, prayed for us. That's, that's, that's awesome. This is his prayer, though, for us. First, uh, it's John chapter 17, if you're writing this down and we'll look it up later. Verse 21 says, That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. His final prayer was not for us to have prosperity or peace or it wasn't so that we would have a, a long life or health. It wasn't for really anything else, Jesus' last prayer, except for, verse 21, in that they might be one, Father, as you and I are one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Man, it's, that's a special prayer, and I want you to keep that in your mind, that in Jesus' last moments, he prayed for you, and, uh, for, for you and I as a church, as those who would believe in the disciples' message, that we would be one. All right, so we've been going through a series of messages called, uh, through a book called The Story, and it's kind of led us uh, to um, a really interesting moment in the Bible, Anybody remember my passcode to my iPad? There we go. Um, so the story is just, uh, it's a tool to help us read through the Bible together, uh, to get the whole story of what God's done and what God will continue to do. And so here, we're going to walk through it all together real quickly, just to get uh, to where we are. Who's the main character of the story? You can yell it out. Who's the main character of the story? Good. I'm so glad that you guys are following along. Now we've invested like 18 weeks of this together for us to not know the main character of the story. It's God. It's God. All right. I'm, all the rest of these questions, I'm just going to answer. We won't play this game, okay? <laughs> so God creates everything, creates a perfect place, uh, and then he, he, he 
he creates this relationship with Adam and Eve. He says, there's two trees. I don't want you to eat of the one of the knowledge of good and evil, but instead they eat the apple. And then in Genesis chapter 3, there's this punishment now for, for uh, man and woman and Satan. And the, the reason I bring that up is Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 brings up the first gospel message, and it talks about Jesus. It says uh, to Satan, the punishment to Satan is, you will have a hatred between you and woman, uh, and and her offspring will crush your head, and you'll only be able to bruise his heel. The rest of the Bible is that story. It's, it's God's relentless pursuit of people, of getting us back. And so we see that God creates a nation, and he starts with a very old man named Abraham. Abraham has a few sons, and this, this plan of creating a huge nation is really off to a slow start until... Um, until Joseph has his 12 sons. His favorite son, Jacob, rises to prominence in the nation of Egypt. He becomes the second in charge of Egypt. And that's really important for the story because as God's people start to populate and prosper, there's a famine. And if, if, left, in, if left where they're living, they're going to die. But because, uh, because um, Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, because Joseph is second in prominence, Second, in power in Egypt, he's able to move the whole nation of Israel just north of Egypt, and they're able to prosper. Well, they populate and populate and populate and populate, and then the next Pharaoh, who has no respect for Joseph, uh, is what the Bible says, he enslaves all of, uh, all of God's people. It's like a turn in the story. Well, who does God, okay, easy one, softball, get ready. Who does God raise up to lead the people out of Egypt? Moses, good job, good job. That would be one of the, the questions on the end of grade tests so that I could pass as a teacher. Anyway, sorry. Um, so it may, Moses raised up, he leads the people out of Egypt, let my people go, Ten Commandments. This is a great story. There's a movie about it. It's a cartoon. You will love it. He splits the sea, um, and, and they walk through on dry ground. Well, Moses leads the people for 40 years. They're just wandering and wandering and wandering and wandering, mostly because they won't honor God completely with their whole life, especially their leader, Moses. He messes up. He doesn't get to see the promised land. God raises up another leader behind Moses. This is a little tricky one. This would be a bonus question on the test. Who's the leader after Moses? There's a whole book named after him. Joshua, awesome, I heard it. And so Joshua then leads the people. Then God uses a cycle of judges to lead God's people until they ask for a king. God raises up this king, Saul, who does a good job of honoring God at first, and then power gets in the way. Then God brings in another king, a man after God's own heart. And who's that? David. Awesome. David, uh, David really does a great job of leading the nation of Israel. He, he protects them. They go on a conquest. He's a warrior king. Well, after that, his son becomes king. His son is Solomon. That's awesome. That was, that was last week. And he had um, 700 wives and 300 concubines. I, I don't know. Anyway, I thought just you needed to know that for uh, the next test. I don't know. Um, anyway, Solomon's known for wisdom. And... Um, and so that's where we are. King Solomon is the leader. So we've, we've covered quite a bit together. Uh, we've got quite a bit more to go in the story, so, so you should follow along. Let's ask God to, to bless us as we continue through, through the sermon. Hey, God, uh, uh, we're going to slow down. Um, we're going to let you just um, 
do your thing through your word here. And um, God, I, I pray that, that through your words, through your message, that you can bring, um, that, that, that our life calling would be one of, of humility and uh, one of serving you and, and serving people. Um, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're, we're going to jump uh, right in. We're going to jump right into the work because we've got a little bit of work to do. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do first. Uh, take a drink of this coffee. Uh, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do first and at the end. Um, I don't know why, but, man, God's given me the opportunity a, f- a few times over the last few weeks to, pr- to teach through uh, my favorite passage in the Bible. And so uh, I- I'm going to get to do that again. It first started in our youth group, and then our small group talked about this past week. And um, it's such an important and key message. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk through the story, and then we're going to apply that, and, and we'll be done. Okay, we're going to move pr- pretty quick together. So if you've got your Bible, uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11. Um, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and someone will, this is just like a cue to someone, someone uh, will get a few Bibles and pass them to you. So if you need one, throw your hand up. There's no, no shame in our game here. 1 Kings um, we're going to start in chapter, chapter 11. Um, you can follow along on the, our Restore Church app, or you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, or you can follow along on the screens. But if you're going to study God's Word, uh, you need something. A Bible, a phone, a tablet. Uh, can't take the screen home with you. Good luck. If you figure it out, just let me know how it worked, because I'd love to have this at home, wouldn't you? Especially to watch people open mouth eat bacon donuts. That was disgusting. All right. So uh, here we are. We've, we've, we've walked through the story. Israel really is in, in, their, in their, like, their wonder years. Solomon is king. They've built the temple. They're like solidified in one spot. They've got peace all around them as Solomon is the king. But here's what we read in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 41 to 42. As for other events of Solomon's reign, so we're kind of wrapping up Solomon's life, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the annals, annals of Solomon? That is an awkward word to say in front of a bunch of people. Verse 42. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all of Israel uh, for 40 years. Verse 43. Uh, It's not up there, but it says this. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, uh, succeeded him as king. That's an important name. We're going to learn a few names that are similar, but we'll take a second to to separate them in in a minute. Um, Those names, Rehoboam, everyone, Rehoboam. Everybody say that with me. Rehoboam, Rehoboam. Man, I'm so glad everyone did that. The second name is Jeroboam. Everybody say Jeroboam with me. Jeroboam. All right, now we're, now we're, we're rolling. So it's like any really good story. I mean, with, the, with, with one king dies, there has to be another king to come in. And since, Sol, since uh, all of Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, asked God for a king, they've only had three, Saul, David, and Solomon. Okay, and Solomon was like an awesome king. It's like these really big shoes that you're going to have to fill. And so there's this, there's this uh, it, it seems like natural, right? David, then his son Solomon. And if you, you remember the life of David, 
David's prayer to Solomon was honor God so that God can be faithful to me and someone of my bloodline will always remain in, on the throne. We know that to be Jesus, but they, they took that literally. Okay, so then who's, who's the natural person to take over for Solomon? His son, right? Rehoboam. Well, there becomes this civil war in the nation of Israel. Let, let's read together. Chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Um, well, I'll start in verse 1, but we'll pick up on the screen, verse 4. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him the king, Rehoboam. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they, so they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, verse 4, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. Now lighten the harsh labor for the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Okay, so they come to Rehoboam, and they say, just lighten the load a little bit, and we'll serve you, okay? So Rehoboam answered, go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. So he's going to his father's council. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted, uh, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Did you catch that part? He rejected the older people's advice and he goes to the boys. Verse 9. And he asked them, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Verse 10, the young men who had grown up with him replied, otherwise known as the boys, replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but your yoke, uh, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So in an effort to become like an even greater king than his father Solomon, Rehoboam goes to his father's council. Like you made this, you, you counseled him through making this nation great. Help me do it. And then they tell him, it's way too risky for you to keep pressing and pressing and pressing. You're a new king. You need to earn their favor. Why don't you lighten the load a little bit and, uh, uh, and, and gain their favor, and they'll serve you forever. I mean, he really has an opportunity to become an even greater king than Solomon. He's got an opportunity to get those who, who hated Solomon on his side. But after not hearing what he wanted to hear, he goes to his buddies, right? The, the young folks. I'm not trying to step on your toes, but uh, us, can I say us, right? <laughs> us young people, we don't have the world figured out, although we think we do, and I might actually have it figured out. I'm not sure, but anyway, um, he, he goes to his boys, and he's like, listen, young, young guys, my crowd, the Bible says the ones he grew up uh, uh, the ones he grew up with, and he says, what do y'all think? And they're like, man, make it, make it even more. Like, push the envelope. Make them serve you. You, you know, 
you, you ain't no punk. And he listens to their advice. But instead of following the wisdom of, of the godly counsel, he decides, he decides not to. Let's take a minute and, and just talk about seeking counsel. Look, if you've, if you've got people around you who are always going to tell you what you want to hear, uh, you, you need some people around you who are going to tell you, eh, sometimes they're going to tell you what you want to hear, right? A little bit of encouragement. They're going to push you. You need people around you who are going to tell you what's tough also. You need people around you who are going to tell you when you're acting like an idiot. You, you're going to need people around you who are going to encourage you, as the Bible says, or, or as... Iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpens another, right? We, we need people around us who, who we're not married to. Your spouse can serve as that also, but who, who's, who's going to serve as, as that, um, it's kind of like that, that mirror. Um, here's, here's how um, I determine if um, those people, do they love me? Do they love Jesus? All right, if you love me and you love Jesus, I'll listen to you. I guess, yeah. All right, so there's, if, if you want advice, there you go. If you want to give me advice, love me and love Jesus. Love God, love people. Where'd you hear that before? All right, back to the story. We got to go faster. I'm going too slow. All right, Rehoboam, um, he wishes, uh, um, he he wishes he had godly advice because it's all going to come back to bite him. Get back into the story. Chapter 12, verses 20 and 24, it says this. When all Israelites heard that Jer- Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all of Israel. Hold up. Only, only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David, which would have been Rehoboam. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all of Judah and the tribes of Benjamin, 180,000 able young men, and they're going to go to war against Israel. And he's going to remain uh, and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But this word came to Shemaiah, the son of God, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, verse 24, This is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord, and they went home again as the Lord had ordered. It's like this real big twist in the story. We haven't had anything like this in the nation of Israel yet. Rehoboam was king. He pushes harder on the people of, of, of the people who wanted to come serve him. And they're like, you know what? We don't need this. We're going to make Jeroboam king. Rehoboam does, does what we would all do if we were the ruler of a nation. He's like, fine, let's go to war. And God said, no, 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 just, just let it be. I want to show you a picture. I, I think I put it in. Maybe I didn't. Uh, it, it's on your app, or it, um, and, and you'll see it there. But God's nation is now divided into, here's how you're going to remember this. It's, it's divided into Israel and Judah. God's kingdom is now divided into Israel, Judah. It's alphabetical, okay? Israel, Judah. Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south. And that, that's how you can remember it. But Jeroboam, he, he's got all the intention in the world to be a godly king. But I want you to hear something. 
Intention without conviction is nothing. If, if you write, write down notes or, or uh, remember things with photographic memory, remember this. Intention without conviction is nothing. You can intend to live for God all day long, but if you don't have any conviction to do anything about it, it's, it's nothing. You can have intention of being a great husband or a great mother, but if there's no conviction, uh, uh, conviction behind it, it, it doesn't mean anything. Right? Intention without real conviction, it, it doesn't mean anything. And so Jeroboam, this, this guy, he's got all this intention, but when it comes down to it, he's got no conviction of being a godly king, a godly ruler. And so, here we go, we'll keep reading in the story, chapter 12, verses uh, 26 to 33. Jeroboam thought of himself, thought to himself, The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, the king of Judah. They will kill me, and then they'll all turn back to King Rehoboam. Verse 28. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. We've heard this before. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he had set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. <laughs> the people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as, to Dan, as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of peoples, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival of the, of the 15th day on the 8th month, like the festival held in, in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places that he had made. Uh, verse 33, on the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifice to the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival of Israelites, or for the Israelites and went up to the offer, altar to make offerings. All right, so here's what's happened. The nations are split, okay? There's Israel and there's Judah. In Judah is Jerusalem where the temple is. And so his people, Jeroboam's people, were going to go to Jerusalem to make sacrifices at the temple. But he's like, no, if y'all go down there, you're going to stay there. Rehoboam's going to give you this awesome speech about how you should raise up. And then you're going to come back and kill me and serve your king, Rehoboam. He said, no. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create golden calves. And I'm going to create places where you can worship there instead of having to go all that way. I want to make it easier for you. He's created some kind of drive-through temple. Haven't we seen this story? Remember Moses goes up and he talks to God on top of the mountain. He comes back down with the Ten Commandments. And what, he's, what does he saw? He saw Aaron who's like, man, this is taking too long. We want to worship. I'm going to create a golden calf and we can worship here. And God burned with anger and so did Moses. And he slammed the Ten Commandments on the ground. And, and so... You have this guy who wanted to be a godly king, but when he realized his, his own kingdom was going to be threatened, he's like, man, we, we, we got we to gotta do something about this. Man, this, this is crazy that God's people are now divided, and neither nation is going to worship God for very long. 
two guys who had the intention of following God's plan, but, but their own pride got in the way. God's people being divided was never, is never, and it still is not part of God's plan. As a matter of fact, I, th- I think as we read this story, and God might reminisce with us, I bet his heart breaks even just a little bit. We live in a world, y'all, where God's kingdom, uh, this is going to come as a surprise to you, really doesn't matter. Like, God's kingdom, or the kingdom of God, so we're talking about churches universal, like all churches connected, right? Imagine that, maybe even working together on some things. That would be awesome. God's kingdom is like devalued in, in, in our country, in, in our nation, in our society. God's answers for things are mocked and ridiculed. They're not given the same amount of, of respect as somewhere else. Our school systems, right, where we're starting to teach things in school systems like, I'm, I'm not even sure abstinence is a part of, of how we teach kids about sexual education anymore. Like, I think that our, well, you know that. The kingdom of God is, is just such a small part of our society anymore, and, and I think God's heart is breaking because of it. And I don't know that the church is really doing itself any services in the matter. I think as people look at the church from outside, I think more often than not they see a kingdom torn in two. I got to talk to someone through through the drive-thru window this week. And... uh, uh, I was working at Brew Downtown, and she came to drive through, and and we've known each other for a while. Well, for a while, we've only been in Jacksonville for so long, but I've known her for since I've been here. And uh, she said, "Oh, I didn't know you work here, dude." She comes in like all the time. <laughs> yes, you did. You just don't know what to say right now. You guys have those moments, those awkward moments where you don't know what to say, and then you say something, and you're like, "Oh, oh, oh." <laughs> And it's like, enjoy your food. You drive through, drive through. You get some food, and they're like, enjoy your food. And you're like, you too. Oh, my goodness. Why did I just say that? Okay, anyway. So, uh, you know, we started talking, and she said, I, just, I thought you were just a pastor at the church. And I was like, well, I, I am, but I, I work here part-time. And she said, you know, I, I'm thinking about the church, and here's why I don't go. I was like, oh, okay. Why? Why? <clears throat> <laughs> Just in the drive-thru, this happens all the time, y'all, and it's awesome. But she said, uh, I don't go because it's like the churches can't even get along with each other. And I was like, I don't know what to say. Here's your coffee. See ya. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, here's, here's one of my chief responsibilities as pastor of Restore Church. This is a hill I will always die on. As long as we exist as Restore Church, we will be united. We will do our best. We will do our best to, to not allow Satan in between what God's doing here. We will do our best to try to bridge gaps in the kingdom of God where there are burnt bridges. I mean, you guys have heard stories about churches who break up and split over silly things like colors of carpet and, 
and what, what style of worship they're going to play or what you wear to church. I mean, the silliest things. And, and I, think, um, I think God's heart breaks every time over those things. I just want to cast a little vision for Restore Church for, for a second. So uh, here's, here's the type of place that Restore Church will be for as long as we exist. We will be a church that loves God more than anything. And our chief responsibility as a church is to give God glory through all we do. Another way to say that is to make God famous in every aspect of what we do. And despite how others live, despite others people, other people's living conditions, despite what people look like, their past, or what we might think their future is, we are going to love them. We're going to love them even when it hurts us to do it. We're not going to do it for how big we can make our church. We're not going to do it because we want praise from outside influences. But uh, I love this phrase. We are going to work our tail ends off for the applause of nail-scarred hands. We're here to love God and love people. And uh, so here's where my favorite passage comes into play. Oh, I can't wait. This is so good. I'm so glad we get to do this. All right. All right. This part you need to wake up for. Okay. We, uh, that, that's really good stuff. The, is, the nation of Israel turns and it breaks and it's a house divided. Next week we're going to see the real consequence of that. But here's, here's what I'm really excited about. Here's, here's the part I want to get to. Uh, we're just going to do a real quick Bible study. Is that okay? Yeah, it's all right. So we're going to put it up right here. Um, so the book of Philippians, my favorite book in the Bible. Y'all know that. We, we've, we've talked about this together. Well, um, if, if you're around church for, for a long time or, or if you stick around church for a long time, you're going to hear people say that the book of Philippians is about joy. It can be. All right, that's cool. But really, it's about this verse. Check this out. Um, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to you and see you or only hear about you in my absence, this is it. I will know that you stand firm. In one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. All right, so he, he ends chapter 1 like this, but can you go back to verse 27? Um, Paul has this passion, this deep love for the people of Philippi. He says in, in chapter 1, I pray for you, or I thank my God every time I pray for you with joy and thanksgiving, I pray for you. Okay, so he has this like deep passion. There's one part that he says, um, I pray that your knowledge will, or that your love will grow more and more uh, in knowledge and depth of insight so that on the day the Lord returns, I can boast about you. Okay, he loves this church. I think every pastor should feel about their church the way that Paul feels about the Philippian church. And so at the end of chapter one, he, he says, listen, whether I come to you or not, remember Paul's in prison when he writes this, so there's a chance that he doesn't get to see them again. And he says, it's like his one prayer for them is this. Imagine that, like, remember Jesus' one prayer for us, that we would be unified so that they, the people outside, the, those who are far from God, would know that God sent Jesus. So Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand firm in one spirit. 
striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This word right here in the, in the Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, uh, it, it, it gives this like sense of military and that they're standing arm in arm, linked together, moving as one. And here, here's, here's the, the image. If you're weak, link up, right? I mean, you get strength. You, you know the, the, the sport of rugby, and they scrum together. And so the weak ones are still in this pile moving forward together. And that's the image that Paul gives. He says, so listen, y'all, as a church, the key word of Philippians is y'all, by the way. Paul uses y'all. He might even be from eastern North Carolina, which is God's favorite part of North Carolina. Anyway, and so what he says is y'all. Y'all together, move together, strive together as one man fighting for the gospel. Here's one key question to always ask yourself when you're reading the letters of the New Testament, most of them written by Paul, how? When Paul tells you to do something, just ask the question how, and usually when Paul writes, it's answered right away. Okay, Paul, sounds good. We want to strive together, but how? Man, I'm so excited. I need some more coffee for this. Here we go. Chapter 2. Therefore, whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you've got to go back and see what it's there for. <laughs> so they're striving to go, they're striving as one person, moving forward for one gospel. And because you're doing that, therefore, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ... Okay, you can almost read this as, like, you can add to it. We don't want to add to the Bible, but you can kind of get the rhythm that Paul's saying here. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and you do. If you have any comfort from his love, and you do. If any common sharing in the Spirit, and there is, if there's any tenderness and compassion, Paul says, to the people I love, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one, you see this again, one in spirit and one mind. Paul's in prison. He thinks he's going to die. He's writing a last letter to the people that he loves the most. And he says, here's what I want for you more than anything is to stand as one people moving forward for the gospel of Jesus. And he says, uh, can you go back to verses 1 and 2? He says, striving forward as one for the gospel. And then he says, uh, and if there's any encouragement, and there is. Listen, as we sit here right now, is there any encouragement from being here? Is there any encouragement from the gospel of Jesus in your life? Yeah, there is. Is there any comfort from his love? Yeah, I would think so. Is there any common sharing in this spirit? You're experiencing it right now. If there's any tenderness and compassion, and there is in the gospel of Jesus, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same spirit uh, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And so then you ask yourself again, how? How can we do that, Paul? How can we be like-minded? We have encouragement. We have the same sharing in the spirit. We have the same love. We want to make your joy complete. Well, then, then how do we do that? Verses 3 and 4 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others better than yourself. Verse 4 says, And not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. All right, let's take a breath. Whew, that's a lot. Uh, can we go back? All right, 
<clears throat> How do we accomplish being together, being unified? Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. If you're following along in your own Bible, you might have an older translation of the, new internet, of the NIV, or, or you might have a, just another translation altogether. And verse 4 in your Bible might say this, not looking, not looking only to your own interests. See how that changes a little bit? Not looking only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. But you know what the original language says? It says this, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Uh, you could almost, you, you could even substitute this word for interests as needs. So looking not to your own needs, but to the needs of others. Okay, this is not what this sermon's about, but if you get anything, if you're married, highlight, underline this, and apply these two verses to your marriage and watch it change, or watch it get better. But that's not what Paul's writing about. Paul's writing about the church. And can you see how this would benefit the church? You, you see how this would benefit this, this group of people? Look, if we did this, if we did this well, then this wouldn't be all that we do. Right? We, we wouldn't be darting out. We wouldn't be getting here. Well, this is not like a soapbox or anything. I'm just saying, like, we wouldn't be getting here five minutes late and, and leaving as soon as church is over because here's what we'd be doing. We'd be trying to find the, we would try to value other people who, who are here. We would look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. But to do that, you've got to f know others, right? You got to, this is why small groups are so important here. Like, if we're going to live out what the church is supposed to be, we've got to be able to meet the needs of the people around us. Here's what I love about verse 4. It says, look to the needs of others, not to your own needs. And it, then you might ask yourself, well, well th that seems a little counter, that is a little counterintuitive. I, I don't understand how I cannot look to my own needs, but I can look to the needs of others. Here's the freedom in that. I start looking after you. How can I care for you? And I spend my life pouring myself out to try to serve you, right? If I'm going to live this out, I'm putting the needs of others instead of, but here's the, here's the beauty of all this, is I've got y'all trying to serve me. And if you were to decide to live this out, you're going to say, man, I want to I live out what the intention of the church is, and then you decide, man, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to love God by loving other people and putting their needs in front of my own. Do you know what you have also? You've got this whole group who are looking after the needs of you, and it creates this type of community that, listen, you cannot find this anywhere else in our world. You can't find this anywhere else in any other religion that says, Serve other people, they're serving you while we're loving God together. You just can't. And so, uh, the, it's, I saw, um, well, you guys saw this week all of the, uh, uh, the, the deaths, the suicides, right? And then there came, became a notification that says since 1999, suicide is one of the only methods or the only ways of dying that is on the increase still from 1999 society we've got to get it together if that's you if, if if you 
this is a serious moment. If you find yourself in that boat, call me. Call somebody. Find help. Your life is valuable. But what's interesting is that in today's society, we still live in the loneliest. We live in the loneliest age in our society's history. Meanwhile, you've got a thousand friends on the internet. Right. The only place to find value, real value, where you have people who are asking you all the time, how can I love you? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? Um, is, is in the church. I could, I'm, I'm not going to. But man, I love being a part of this church because I could point out individuals right now who live this out all the time. A few of them are teaching your kids right now. And so I, I love being a part of a church that lives this out. Okay, we're asking the question, how? Let's wrap this thing up. All right, okay, here it is. We want to be one. We want to move together in the spirit, linked up arm in arm. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, all those things, and you do, um, here we are. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others better than yourself. Uh, verse 4, not looking to your own interest, but to the interests of others. So how do you do that? Paul answers, verse 5. In your relationships, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself, um, but rather he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every, every knee shall bow on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Look, if, if one, if we're going to live out God's calling on the church, it's got to be a you first mentality, me second. Well, I, think, I think Josh says it this way, me third, right? Isn't that it? Me third. Remember to be third. It's, it's God first, then you, and then me. God first, then others, and then me. And if we're living this cycle out, man, I, we're, we're caring for each other, we're loving for loving each other, all out of an outpouring of our love for God. And Paul says, you want to know how this is demonstrated? It's demonstrated through Jesus. Man, I, I want to live that out. And, and I think God wants us to live that out too. Because then it's not about how, it's, it's not about church then. All right, man, I got to go. Oh. Um, church then is not about this. And I think if Paul were to come into our church, all right, I got to change the end of this thing. All right, that's good. All right, Holy Spirit, help. Um, I think if uh, if um, I think if if Paul walked in, did I say this last week? I hope I did. I hope I say it all the time. I think if Paul walked in, I, I think the first century people, they would come in and be like, look at this, and they'd be like, this is awesome, right? Not not because we're awesome, but they would say, man, the way that you guys worship this. This is cool. We didn't have this. Or, or the, the, the tools that you guys have to, to be able to preach. Man, this is, this is awesome. You guys, I really love this. What do you call this? 
And then we'd be like, oh, this is church. I think Paul would be like, oh, what? <laughs> you called this, this what? I think he, he, they would be so confused. I think Jesus would be confused. I think he is confused to hear us call this church. Because you know what they believed? You know what Jesus believed church to be? You know what Paul believed church to be? He believed it to be that. And lived out that way. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you have people around you that will, that will live that with you? Do you have people around you who will call you on your stuff like Rehoboam had and kind of screw that up? Do you have people around you who will put your needs in front of your own? In front of their own? Who will drop on the drop of a dime call you and, 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 or, or when you call, they'll, they'll, do you have that? If you don't, you do. All you got to do is, is ask. Um, but, but, man, you, you need to be plugged in. I guess the, the plug here is get in a small group. That's the easiest way to live this out right now is get in a small group. And if you need help, uh, we'll help you find that. Um, all right, well, uh, I have one more passage I just want to read. This is what happens when the church is the church. It says this, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you believe the Son of Man is? Uh, or who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. This is the best part right here. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, uh, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by Father, in, but by, by my Father in heaven. Verse eighteen, and I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. Check it, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Like if we're going to be the church that's going to love each other like that, if we're going to be a church that's going to compare, or that's going to compassionately care for each other, put the needs of others before our own, and we're going to love God more than anything, and then love each other next. If we're going to consider our ourselves third, listen, the gates of hell do not stand a chance against the church not only in our society, but in your life. Because you've got people who care about seeing the gospel displayed in and through your life. And let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for the Holy Spirit and we thank you for being a part of our church and for being here. God, we thank you for your word and for pouring it.